Good morning, Saltbox. Am I on? Do I need to start that over? It, it might be. Okay, good. Good morning, Saltbox. My name is Michael Mattis, and I pastor Saltbox Church here in Wilmington, North Carolina. We're in the middle of our Defining Moments series, and I have the wonderful privilege of introducing you to a dear friend, a mentor, a man that I love and respect, and uh, one of my favorite preachers. He's going to be sharing with us out of Joshua 1, but this is Dr. Clive Calver. Join us. Clive. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's great to have the opportunity of doing this. When I think sort of 10 days ago, I was in hospital having heart surgery, and now I'm here hoping that the mind is going to work and that we're going to get the opportunity of digging into some verses that are quite a surprise. Now, I use that as the introduction because when I start, you're going to think that I probably am still having at least heart problems, if not mental gymnastic problems. You see, when we read together from Joshua 1, we start with this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And remember, Moses, my servant, is dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words that you have given us from which to learn your truth. Help us to be strong this day, strong to receive what you would give us, strong to be ready to move on what you instruct from us, Help us to know that the strength is yours. Help us to draw from the abundance of supply that you have on offer. And Lord, in this defining moment, teach us your ways. In the name of Jesus, amen. It's a fabulous phrase to preach from, Moses, my servant is dead, because nobody expects you to do it. And yet it's got so much meaning to it. You see, it's all about a moment. It's all about a moment in history. It's all about a moment in time. It's a moment when God is going to take 
hold of a people and turn them inside out, upside down, and back to front. It's the moment when everything is going to become different. It's God's moment to mature, to develop, to create a people for himself. You've got to know what happened before then. You see, before then, you have Israel led by Moses, and they are 40 years in the wilderness. That journey should have taken 11 days. You could do it in 11 days today. They took 40 years because they kept wandering in the wrong direction. They kept thinking they knew better than God. They kept thinking that they could work it out and that God would equip them in what they wanted. They asked God's blessing on their desires instead of listening to what he had for them. And then at the end of that journey, having taken 40 years, they end up on the verge of the promised land. They've only got to go over the Jordan. And God says, Moses, my servant is dead. So get ready to go into the land and to go to everything that I have for you. The fact that Moses was gone was gut-wrenching. They'd got so used to having God's man leading them. Now that he's not there, of all the people who had set out on that journey, of all the adults who went to storm their way through to the promised land, only two are left. Joshua and Caleb survived. Moses saw the land, but was never allowed to go into it. At 120 years old, he died. Moses' own story is an interesting assessment of how God works. The first 40 years of his life, God showed how he takes a nobody, takes him to the palace and makes him a somebody. The next 40 years of his life, God takes a somebody and reduces him to being a nobody again. And the last 40 years, God takes a nobody and shows what it means for him to be a somebody in God's strength, not in his own strength. And so right at the beginning of this story here, you've got the moment of change. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now Joshua, lead my people. That wasn't Joshua's original name. His original name was Hoshea, and Hoshea meant salvation. God changed it to Joshua, which means Yahweh saves, God saves. This renaming was to be the key to his understanding, that what he was going to do wasn't going to be in his strength, it was going to be in God's strength. And therefore, Israel's ultimate success is secure because it's not down to Israel, it's down to Israel's God. And he is going to work it all out. And so we move on from Deuteronomy chapter 34, which is where Moses sees the land ahead and dies. And now that Moses, my servant, is dead, God can work not through Moses, but through a Joshua. You see, leaders change, but God doesn't. God can raise up whoever he wants. 
Now, I want to give you Joshua's qualifications for leading the people of Israel. He's weak, not strong. He's frightened, not confident. He's fit to quit, not ready for the battle ahead. And that's the only explanation for what God says in Joshua 1. God says, be strong. God says, don't be afraid. God says, don't be dismayed. Because the underlying message here is that we must not be too big for God to use. We must come in our weakness, our inadequacy, with what we need from him. We need to come to a moment in our hearts and lives when we recognize that God is going to take hold of us and use us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Not because of what we can do, but because of what he can do. Not because of what is happening in our hearts and lives, but because of what he can do in our hearts and lives. I keep hearing the words, God bless America. And I'm really not sure he's going to do that. If you want God to bless America, then the only way to get there is for America to bless God. When America blesses God, then God can bless America. Until America blesses God, it's very hard for God to bless America. If you don't believe me, read Deuteronomy and Joshua, because that's the story of what happened to Israel. And what Joshua is trying to get ready for is the reality that this is the moment of change, but the change has to start with us. If we really want God to use us, we have to come to him in our weakness. We have to come to him in our fragility. We have to come to him in our inadequacy. There's no point us pretending we've got all the answers when we're still asking questions. We have to come so he can humble us, break us, empty us. Then we'll be ready for God to use us. The Jewish historian Josephus, 2,000 years ago, was writing about Joshua. And he said that Joshua was enslaved for 40 years of bondage in Egypt with all the hardship, frustration, cruelty, and intolerance of the taskmasters. But once he had gone through that, he was ready for God to lift him up. He was ready for God to use him. You see, it's important to recognize those opening words in Joshua 1. Moses, my servant, is dead. Are you his servant? Because when you're his servant, dead or alive, he can use you and do something through you. That's the moment of change. It's the moment things alter. Secondly, it's the moment of inheritance. You have to get to the land before you can hope to inherit the land. 
Moses has got Israel to the land. Now God is going to give the people of Israel the land of Israel. But if they're going to have that gift, they've got to do something with it. I don't know if you uh, ever get up at Christmas really excited. My wife, Ruth, has always had something about her that is a terrible frustration to our kids and grandkids. She won't allow them to go and get their presents from under the tree. She insists on taking them to church, and then she insists on giving them Christmas lunch, and only after lunch, and then after coffee, can we sit down and somebody can go and dive under the tree and grab the first of the gifts, all very well knowing that the gifts are there. But you've got to come to the moment of appropriating them, of taking hold of them, of receiving them. And Israel's got to the edge of the promised land. Now God is ready to give them the gift of the land. But they've got to be ready to receive it, to receive it from him. They've got to be people who are ready. That's why you get this whole section on Joshua and Moses. Joshua has got to learn to be God's servant. Israel has got to learn to be God's people before they can receive what God wants to give them. The story is told in the Old Testament of a pot of molten gold. And that pot of molten gold is put over the fire. And so it can bubble away and the impurities in the gold can rise to the surface. And then the refiner can skim off those impurities. And so what does he do? He turns the heat up. More impurities rise. They get skimmed off. And he turns the heat up. More impurities rise. And they get skimmed off. And he goes on doing it till he can look into the gold and see his own reflection. Because that's what the great refiner wants to do. He wants to get a people who will reflect him, his beauty, his life, and who he is. And the moment of inheritance for the land is not when we are ready to receive what we want. It's when we're ready to receive what God wants to give us. So God says in verse 6 of Joshua 1, So be strong, be courageous. Be ready to inherit the land. God has been so faithful, enabling, supportive, and securing for Moses. Now he wants to do the same thing for Joshua and for the people so that they can inherit the land and receive what he wants to give them. So you come to a moment of truth, a moment of decision, you come to a moment of inheritance when you're ready to receive what God wants to give. 
And as we look at America today, we are at a moment when we need to receive from God what he wants to give us. We're at a moment when as Christians we're ready to stand in the gap and stop believing that God's going to do it through the politicians or the military, through the forces of law and order or the educators. God is waiting for the people of God to rise up and to stand secure in Him, being emptied of us and so filled with Him so that people can look in our lives and see the reflection of the living God. Then God can move into a COVID-ravaged land and do something new. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Parabolani. Most of the people I have talked to over the years about the Parabolani had never heard of them. Things did change a bit 20 years ago when a man named Rodney Stark, who's a historian uh, and psychologist, Stark wrote a book about Christianity and Christianity changing the world. And Parabolani featured in the book. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know anybody knew about the Parabolani, but Stark did. The story of the Parabolani is very straightforward and very simple. It's the story of what God does with his people. When he wants to come and do something fresh, and do something new. And when God wants to come and do something fresh and do something new, he wants to get a people who are ready for him to do it. What happened when the Parabolani came on the scene was it was about the year 300 AD. They only featured again one more time in the story of the early church around the year 500 AD. Rodney Stark, who may not share the same convictions that you do on everything, but Rodney Stark points to those two moments as being the key in the story of the early church. He says everything changed with the Parabolani. What happened was in North Africa, in the land of Carthage, a man named Cyprian, was Bishop of Carthage. And what happened was the plague, a pandemic, a really serious one. And Cyprian was asked what he was going to do. So Cyprian said, I'm going to get the young men and the young women in the church. And I'm going to send them into the heart of the plague areas of Carthage and I'm going to get them to minister to the plague victims. That's how the Parabolani were born, because those young men and young women came to the history of the church to be known as the Parabolani, those who went out on a limb, those who risked their lives and everything to make history and change the story of the nation and indeed of the world. 
What the Parabolani did was they went and sat with the plague victims. They provided food. They cared. They talked. They led them to Jesus. It was an amazing story. But they couldn't stop the plague. So in the end, the Parabolani got down on their hands and knees, opened their mouths, and sucked the poison out of the suppurating sores of the plague victims. And they made history. They died by the score. But nobody in Carthage ever saw Christians the same way again. Christians would always be the Parabolani, those who gave their lives for everybody else. Those who gave their lives to change history and to change a nation. Those who did the impossible. 200 years later, it happened again. The Parabolani throughout history have been Christians out on a limb, changing their world. The moment of transition that came after Moses, my servant, was dead. After God has told Joshua to go into the land and to lead the people to take possession of the land. You get the moment of transition when he's told to go over the Jordan. Because Israel isn't just going through a change of leadership. It's going through a change of lifestyle. The people of God are going to be different. Not in the words they use, but the lives they live. And who they live those lives for and what they're doing with those lives. The instruction was to arise. Go over the Jordan, you and this people. Go into the land. It wasn't to be an isolated exercise. They were to go in as a people. It's an amazing thing because the Jordan River was the lowest place on earth. It's the furthest spot on planet earth below sea level. And that's where they're told to go to make history. Moses was God's servant. The Jordan is the lowest place on earth. God sends his people to the lowest for the least to endure the worst and to change the world for Jesus. Just one more thing. It's the moment of promise. A generation died in the wilderness. An old friend of mine, a guy named Alan Redpath, great preacher, once put it like this. Surely the state of the church must be a sorrow to the heart of God. In spite of Calvary, in spite of an empty tomb, in spite of an ascended Lord, in spite of Pentecost, the majority of Christians perish in indulgence, worldliness, and sin. Saved as the Apostle Paul says, but saved as by fire. We've got to move on. We've got to go deeper. We've got to go further. This world is waiting for the church to rise up and make a difference. 
This world is not waiting for the church to endorse its own positions or to support its own actions and activities. The world is waiting for the church to come and to be different. That's what the very word holy means in the Greek language. It's hagios, it means different. And God wants a people who are different. D.L. Moody, the great American preacher of the 19th century, put it like this. You're going to have to forgive me because the volume is coming up. Just a fraction. You can't do Moody in low key. Moody said, This world has yet to see what the Almighty God can and will do with, for, through, and in a man or a woman who is totally and completely consecrated to him. This world has yet to see what Almighty God can and will do with, for, through, and in a man or a woman who is totally and completely consecrated to him. That's what the world's waiting for. That's what the world's looking for. A man or a woman, add on a limb, ready to change the world, not by themselves, but by allowing the living God to come as their rock and their redeemer, to come and work in them and through them. How do we do that? We get the hint at the end of those verses we read when we read that Joshua meditated on the Lord's word day and night. Meditated doesn't just mean sat and read, doesn't mean privately studied. It means mumbled, murmured what he read, shared it. This world is waiting for the demonstration of the love of King Jesus seen in the people of God. This world is waiting for a people who will get up and be the parabolani of their day and go out on a limb and transform this world with the love and power of Jesus. This world is waiting for a people who will announce the truth of the living God and recognize that there is no other way to know and to serve and to live for God than through Jesus. This world is waiting for the revelation of the truth of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus being shown through the lives of God's people. This world is not waiting for a people who are crouching in a building, hoping that no one's gonna recognize us. This world is not waiting for people hiding in houses, hoping that we're not gonna be discovered. This world is waiting for the Parabolani to go out among them and to preach Jesus, live Jesus, love Jesus, and touch this world with the grace and goodness of God. Because Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and this people. Go into the land of promise. Go and take the land. Go and take Jesus to a people who've lost sight of him and go and bring America back to her God again.
Salt box, here we are. A moment of decision before us. You may have heard Clive's message and you may be standing or sitting, looking on your phone or another device, watching. And you may even be going, I have never fully surrendered my heart to this Jesus. I have never fully laid it all out for him. I wanna give you an opportunity to do like Joshua did. You may be afraid, you may be uncertain, you may not know what's coming, but would you pray with me if you're at a point in your life where you wanna surrender all to King Jesus? It's a supernatural transaction that happens when a person comes to the point of laying it all down in surrender like D.L. Moody called us to do. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I recognize that the past is dead. Lord, I recognize that you've called us to move boldly and confidently into the future. Lord, I'd even acknowledge that I have fear and concern and uncertainty. And yet I've also recognized that I am bankrupt in of myself and I cannot do it without you. And I would ask you, Lord Jesus, to come in and live your life in me, to live your life through me. I acknowledge that you are Lord God creator of heaven and earth. Would you come in and would you fill me with your spirit? Would you walk with me? Would you cover my sin with your blood? And would you allow me to be one of the unique ones that goes forth like the Parabolani, like Joshua, like the Israelites who crossed the Jordan into the promised land to make a difference, to change history, to shift a city, a state, a nation. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. If you're there today and you need special prayer, there's a number on your screen. Give us a call. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk to you. If you're out there today and you've surrendered your life to Jesus for the first time, we'd love to talk to you and pray with you as well. Call us. If you have questions about something that Clive shared or something that we've said here, call us and we'd love to discuss. One thing is sure, God is in this defining moment. And he will walk with us if we will walk with him and bless him. We'll be back next week at 10 a.m. here for Saltbox. We love you and bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.